0: Our approach this Christmas season to the Christmas story is a chronological examination of the story, beginning with the rumblings where God breaks a 400-year silence when the angel Gabriel appears to an old priest named Zacharias, letting him know that his barren wife would conceive and have a son who would be the forerunner of the long-awaited Messiah. Amazing. Last week, we looked at following uh, the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth. We, We saw how Gabriel's mission continued following the interactions there in the temple with Zacharias. Gabriel is sent not to a town of notoriety, not to a town of any fame, not to a town of any significance, to a town called Nazareth. And he wasn't sent to an elder of note there in the city or some great woman of achievement, but no, Gabriel is sent to a maiden by the name of Mary, a beautiful young lady who had a heart for God. We see this from her reactions to things. We see this from the song that she, that she sings. She just had a tenderness And the angel comes and says, you, Mary, you are highly favored. You have been chosen by God to be the mother of the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. Mary, it's you. Now, she's betrothed to Joseph. And in Hebrew culture, within the way that marriages functioned there in the first century, betrothal was a very official title. In fact, one couldn't break a betrothal any other way but by obtaining a certificate of divorce. Mary and Joseph probably grew up together. They probably knew each other. In fact, their marriage was likely an arrangement that had been concocted years before through their families. If we have a boy and you have a little girl, let's join our families together in this wonderful union. Again, Nazareth is not a big place. I kind of painted the picture last Sunday that Nazareth, for the most part, is a glorified truck stop on a very popular road that connects Galilee, the region of Galilee, with the Mediterranean Sea. There's a Piggly Wiggly, a Waffle House. Everyone that lives there in the trailer park services, you know, the the meeting spot. I've read interesting uh, scholarly reports that, that even speculate that the population of Nazareth might not have even exceeded 20 or 30 people. It's a very small place. So insignificant, it's never mentioned in scripture. Up until that point, up until that verse, up until that moment, Nazareth is never in the Old Testament because no one cared about Nazareth. So you have Mary, you have Joseph, two kids that grow up together, There comes the time where they formally make vows to one another, they're betrothed. And it's at that point that Mary goes home to her father's house and she's in a waiting game that could take a few months to upwards of a year while Joseph goes to his father's house to build an addition. It's just the way that it worked. So Joseph would be home, he's betrothed. The love of his life, this beautiful girl Mary. And let's be real. When you look at Mary, Joseph hit the jackpot. I mean, he really did. I mean, the man outpunted his coverage without question. I mean, he, Mary, agreed to Mary. I mean, this is a beautiful thing. And he is busy at home preparing the addition so that they can start their life together and they can can have kids with one another and they can love each other and grow old with one another. Joseph, you can imagine, has dreams and aspirations and he's filled with anticipation. All he's waiting for in the process is his father to come inspect the addition and say, son, you did good. Go get your wife. And it's at that moment, he could grab his buddies, they could hit the road, they could go to Mary, and there would be this fanfare and this celebration as he goes and he retrieves his bride. They're in the betrothal season. Mary's also equally filled with anticipation. She's at home making sure she's ready every day. Her bags are packed. She gets her face on. You don't know what the rest of the day might hold. And then the angel comes with news. And Mary is overwhelmed. Mary accepts the truth of it. She's blessed by it. But she also realizes the implications of this news, the ramifications. Gabriel tells her, Mary, why don't you leave town? In fact, your cousin Elizabeth is with child. And why don't you go and visit her for a season. Mary's thinking, how do I explain this to anyone? How do I tell my parents? How do I break the news to Joseph? And Gabriel's like, whoa, 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 don't worry about that right now. Instead, you know what? You go, another miracle has happened. Uh, You're the second person I've appeared to. Um, Go hang out with Elizabeth. And the scene, how, how encouraging. That we're told as Mary comes in, probably making... 50, 60 mile journey from Nazareth, probably likely Hebron. She comes in and she says, Elizabeth, are you there? This is a greeting, a salutation. And we're told, and, and hearing Mary's voice, Elizabeth says that the babe, who's about six months old, John, jumps, leaps for joy, and she's filled with the Holy Spirit. And without Mary saying anything, because you got to imagine, how am I going to explain this to anyone? And I got to start with Elizabeth, right? And so she's the whole walk, the whole journey she's running through, how she's going to explain it, how she's going to break the news, different strategies, different approaches. But she gets there. Elizabeth, are you there? And Elizabeth, oh, blessed woman, Elizabeth identifies that Mary's pregnant with her Lord. How cool that Mary doesn't have to explain anything that Elizabeth right there in that moment um, affirms, not another word comes out of her mouth. And from that, Mary explodes into the song of praise. We looked at all this last Sunday and then we get to Luke chapter one, verse 56, which is a fairly inconspicuous verse to be, to be honest. But we read, and and Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months, likely staying through the term. So she's there to help with the delivery of John and returned to her house. Wow. For me, those words are loaded because Mary's now three months pregnant. And all of the conversations she's likely avoided, all the conversations she's dreaded, all of the things that no doubt she hadn't run from, but had been given some grace over, is going to come to a head. She is going to return home. What was that walk like for a young teenage girl? All of your plans, all of your future, everything you had longed for, you know likely is going to come to an end. You have no idea how this will play out. Mary returns home. Now, we're working our way chronologically through the story. So you get there, Luke chapter one, and for us chronologically, Mary returns home. We now flip to the Gospel of Matthew because we're going to pick up the story beginning with chapter one, verse 18, because we're going to get a little bit of Joseph in this. So we read again, Matthew chapter one, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph. Again, information we already know. Before they came together, so Matthew is affirming what Luke says, that Mary was a virgin. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. She was found. This word found, it means to come upon. Again, Mary gets home and her secret is no longer a secret. You can imagine the first conversations are with mom and dad. Interesting, we never have a mention of Mary's parents anywhere else in the scripture. How did that conversation go over? Mary's been a virgin, she's been in a godly home, she's been raised right. The guilt how did we fail? Mary's like, but I did, but I haven't made any mistakes. I didn't go out partying. I didn't give away my, in fact, I'm still a virgin. I'm the only person on the, the planet ever that still is a virgin and pregnant. And the only explanation I can give you is that God did this thing. An angel, Gabriel, shows up, says that I've been chosen. You remember Isaiah said, the virgin shall conceive, and I'm that virgin. Parents' disbelief. Oh, what are we going to do now? The loony bin? And then at some point, word gets its way through Nazareth. From one trailer to the other. And Joseph gets word from a buddy. Maybe his father. As he's in there making an addition to his home for his bride, he gets word. Yeah, buddy, um... You might want to rethink this. Um, You know, Mary, uh, well, she's been knocked up. She's with child. The, The devastation that Joseph would have experienced. I mean, just put yourself in his sandals, right? All of your hopes, all of your dreams, all of your plans, all of your aspirations, this life that you were going to have with this woman, You've been working hard day in and day out to make this home, to go retrieve your bride. And now you get word that she's been unfaithful. And you can see Joseph coming to the home, asking permission to talk to Mary. He needs to know face to face. He needs to hear it for himself. Mary, was I not good enough? Was I not worth waiting for? Was it Jimmy? And it's not really a Hebrew name, but that was the quickest thing that came. What happened? We had this whole, all those promises, those, the vows that you've made, the words that you've shared, the moments. Was I not worth it? And then again, Mary with the tenderness in her eyes and the, the, the solitude of her voice, grabs him by the hands and says, Joey, I haven't, I haven't cheated on you. There's not another man. I still love you. Everything I've said still remains the truth. I have a plan. I still want this future. I want that home. This is, this is just an unexpected little kind of bump in the road. Well, how? And again, Mary well, Joey, the Holy Spirit overshadowed me. And then I was pregnant. I don't really know much more than that. But the angel came and said, and she rehashes the whole story. And if you're Joseph, you're sitting there thinking, I don't really know what to think. She's found with child. Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, Being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly. Now, don't miss what this verse is telling us. Whatever Mary said to Joseph, whatever words she used, whatever arguments she presented, however it came across, Joseph hears it and what? Yeah, I'm not buying it. Like we're told that he's, he's now trying to figure, I don't believe your story. And as a result, I, I'm, I'm, I gravitate towards the other end. You've been unfaithful. According to the law, I could take you out because you are my wife, and we could stone you to death. There could be some severe consequences, some repercussions. But then you're Joseph, and you're like, she thinks that this is a God thing. She's mentally ill. Is that really fair? She's, she's, she's off her rocker. She's a few fries short of a happy meal. Is it really like, should, should you know? So he's thinking, what do I do? She's, he's rejected the story. He's resisted the tale. He's like, no, I'm out, but, I, but, I, but I'm a just man. He's a just man. He's a fair man. He's a tender, he's a gentle man. And he's like, well, I too love her. And so he's contemplating, he's minding, he's thinking it through, he's mulling it over. What's the right approach here? How do I go about doing this? And you can can imagine that he's got friends in his ears. You know? You should give her what she deserves. Joseph, she's been unfaithful. This should be easy. So he's thinking it through. He's contemplating. Meaning he's he's rejected what she said. And you can imagine there's Mary, right? Lord God. I feel like I've been a pretty good trooper. I think I've handled myself pretty well. Can you do something for me? Can you help me? Can you get, I don't want to lose him. Because remember, she loves him. She's being obedient to God. But Joseph doesn't understand it. And you can imagine that Mary, as he leaves, they're both crying. It's in tears. She doesn't know what's going to happen next. She doesn't know what he's going to do. But you can imagine that this beautiful woman is on her knees before the Lord, crying out with the depths of her own soul before the Lord. Can you please intervene, Father? Can you do something? Can you get through? Well, But while, verse 20, Joseph thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. I I think it's likely it's it's Gabriel. Uh, But an angel appears in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph. You know, the man's name, Joseph, of all of the men That God could have chosen to be part of the story of his kid. He chose Mary. We've addressed that. But we should consider Joseph. He could have picked anybody. Joseph is going to have the responsibility of raising Jesus, God's kid. I mean, that's a pretty high bar, pretty high responsibility. God chooses Joseph and, and I mean this is what's being articulated don't be afraid to take Mary everything she says true Joseph named Joseph you know I don't think that that's an accident because I think the name is meant to hearken us to another dreamer God comes to Joseph in a dream that sound familiar we got like 10 to 12 chapters of another guy named Joseph in the book of Genesis, who was also a dreamer. That there was something interesting about Joseph where he, dream- he had dreams. and God revealed things to him through dreams. And now we have another Joseph being or, communicated to through dreams. And, and you study Joseph's life beyond this. God is constantly communicating. I think it's four different dreams he has. Two dreamers in the Bible, both named Joseph. I don't think that's an accident. He's thinking what to do. He's contemplating his decisions. He's weighing the options. And then in a dream, God speaks to him and says, everything that woman is telling you is true, son. And not only that, you need to take her as your wife. You need to love her. And that kid, I want you to name. You're going to have authority. He's going to be under your tutelage. He's my kid but I'm giving him to you to raise. You shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so you're Joseph. And you wake up from this dream. Okay, first, this really happened. I had a dream. Two, the dream confirmed everything that she said was true. That's, and I got picked to raise God's kid. You know, there's a funny story about 12 years after this where they make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover and they're there and they go to leave and the whole family leaves, you know, it's a big clan and they're making their way back up. And it's like three days into the journey that Joseph and Mary, Joseph's like, Hey, you know where Jesus is? And, and Mary's like, I thought he was with you. And well, is he not with you? And, and they're like, Oh no, we lost God's kid. I mean, you got to think about the weight of that. I mean, they frantically go back to Jerusalem and they're searching everywhere. At any point, you can imagine both of them are expecting Gabriel to show up. Be like, hey, how's Jesus doing? Well, he's doing great, you know, he's 12. Just checking in, where is he? Oh, he's in town. (laughs) Don't tell me you lost God's kid. Like, I, I get frantic if, if I lose sight of my kids in, in Belk, right? You lose Jesus. What a responsibility. You know, that God chose that man to be a father figure to Jesus. Now, Joseph is also weighing his options because Joseph here understands something. Just like with Mary, Joseph, Joseph has options. I guess that's what I'm saying. Joseph gets up from the dream. He understands the situation, which by the way, maybe side point, you know, sometimes you pray for a miracle. You're praying for a miracle. God, please get through to this person. May you step into their life. May you pull back the curtain. God, I need you to open their eyes and speak, and reveal, and you pray, and pray. Maybe it's a a son, or it's a child, or it's a daughter. Maybe it's a spouse. And you're praying for the miracle, and nothing's happening, and you keep sitting back like, well, I guess the miracle didn't happen. Or did it? You know, Joseph at this point could have been like, you know what? Like, now I'm going to have to explain myself to my parents. Like, Joseph's going to have to go to his dad and be like, you know, dad, this addition, um, I'm still going to marry her. You're going to do what? She's with somebody else's kid. I know, dad. It's God's. <laughs> You're drinking the same Kool-Aid she's drinking. Like, like he, now, he now is going to own the same story the night before he thought was redonkulous. And he's going to own it and accept it, and not just that, he's going to accept all the stigma that comes with it. He's going to shoulder the responsibilities for it. He's going to provide, and he's going to carry that weight. And Joseph, when he wakes up, can can make a decision. Joseph could absolutely decide. You know what? Okay, Mary, I believe you. I believe. I. I I believe that you're telling me the truth, I get it. Man, and that's so great for you to be chosen. But you know what, I'm thinking through the implications that this is gonna have for me, I'm out, I don't want them. You know, Joseph has free will in this situation. He, he understands that what Mary has said is true, which means the miracle happened, didn't it? God did get through in a radical way, through a dream, no less, spoke as clear as could be. Joseph couldn't argue it, but he still had to make a decision whether he would accept it. See, sometimes we, we, we pray for the miracle, like Mary, I'm sure, and when we don't see anything happen, we think that the miracle didn't take place. This tells us, you don't know what's happened. You don't know what dreams they've had. You don't know what revelations they've had. Just because they haven't accepted and acted on it, the miracle maybe has already happened, but someone still has to be responsible for their decisions. And Joseph here, he's in this moment. I guess my point is if you're in that situation and you're praying for the miracle, don't don't tell God that the miracle didn't happen because it likely has. And it continues to happen. Joseph, what do I do? Now, we see an immediate resolve in this man. So, all this was done, verse 22, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, <coughs> saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, <coughs> which is translated God with us. It's Isaiah chapter 7. Then Joseph being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him his wife. Now this is like the third or maybe fourth month into the pregnancy, given the timeline. He takes her, his wife, but he did not know her, which they didn't consummate until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So we have an interesting, an interesting thing that, that not just takes place in this text, but we have an interesting thing that, that it was equally true in the parallel text in Luke, and that is that, that that two things are happening here. Two instructions are given by God, rooted in Old Testament prophecy. They're to name the child. Jesus and we're told why for he will save his people from their sins and Jesus Yahshua and in the Hebrew means salvation is of the Lord you see the name Jesus is 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 what he would do it's a descriptive term please understand that the second member of the Holy Trinity who we now know as Jesus has always existed okay the incarnation is not the beginning of his story. He's been very active. In fact, he's been very present on planet Earth in dozens of situations recorded all throughout the Old Testament that we call Christophanies or theocracies, like where, where, where God comes, Jesus comes, and interacts with humanity. We saw a lot in the book of Judges. You see it all throughout Genesis. Who was walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden? It's not God the Father because he has no physical presence, nor is it the Holy Spirit, who is literally walking with Adam and Eve in the garden? His name's Jesus. Jesus. Now, he doesn't get the name Jesus until here, because it's describing what he will accomplish. He will save his people from their sins, so he needs this, this name, Yeshua, Jesus. But then we're also told, right, according to the Isaiah seven fourteen prophecy, Look at verse 23 again. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, that's Mary, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And so you're like, well, well, no, they call him Jesus. But here we're told that they'll call him Emmanuel. So which is it? Yes. (laughs) Jesus is the descriptive term at the incarnation where God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, he'll save his people from his sins. But the day before that happened, he's always been known as Emmanuel, translated God with us. Because there's instances all throughout the Old Testament that there were times that God needed to come down and be with us. And he needed to address things. Now now I bring this up because again you get back into the Hebrew mindset of Mary and Joseph within their culture they know the bible stories again Mary's heart that song the depth of theology the references to the old testament these are two special people that know the scriptures to an extent but even if they had a base understanding they know of Emmanuel I mean they've heard these stories Again, from Judges or back to Genesis, or when Joshua's about to go and they're about to take on uh, Jericho and he's going to lead the first conquest. And Joshua's kind of freaking out a little bit. And we're told that that night, the commander of the Lord's army came and stood in front of him and he bowed down. I mean, and he said, take off your sandals. The ground you're standing is holy. And the commander, of the, Jesus says, bro, I got your back. Don't worry about it. From one Yahshua to another it'll be good over and over and over again. We have these instances, but this word Emmanuel it's loaded. And for Mary and Joseph, they're like, okay, this child, this baby, we understand is the son of God. We understand that there's this divine element. We need to call him Jesus because he'll save his people from, from their sins. But we're also told, and in both instances and both interactions with an angel, it's been clear, Hey, that kid you're going to name Jesus was Emmanuel. And they would know what that means. What does that mean? Now, we're going to take a little detour. We're going to travel a bit to the left, back to Isaiah. Now, Isaiah chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, these three chapters are prophetic and they deal with the coming of Emmanuel. God with us. And you need to understand that within the context of Isaiah's prophecy, there would be a dual fulfillment. Now, the obvious fulfillment we already understand is in the birth of Jesus. And we have passages that confirm this. Just as an example, verse 14 of chapter 7 Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. That is confirmed within Jesus. You jump over to chapter 9 and you get, for unto us a child is born. Verse 6, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So you have all these examples, this prophecy about Emmanuel, we we know its fulfillment is within Jesus in the incarnation. However, there is a dual fulfillment that would occur in the time of Isaiah regarding Emmanuel. Passage I wanna actually look at, chapter eight, I'm gonna read a few verses beginning with verse five. Now, the Lord also spoke to me again, saying, Inasmuch as these people refused the waters of Shiloh and flow softly and rejoice in resin and Ramallah's son, and therefore, behold, the Lord brings <clears throat> up over them the waters of the river, strong and mighty, the king of Assyria and all his glory. He will go up over his channels and go over his banks, and he will pass through Judah and he will overflow and pass over. He will reach up to the neck and the strengthening out of his wings. And, and then <clears throat> Isaiah says, Will the breath of your land, O Emmanuel, be shattered, O you peoples, and be broken in pieces? Give ear. All you from afar countries, gird yourself, be broken in pieces, gird yourself, be broken in pieces, take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand. And then Isaiah declares, for God is with us. Now, there's no fulfillment of that in the incarnation. And what's being described here is what was happening in Isaiah's day. You see, the Assyrian empire was marching And what's being described by Isaiah here is the Assyrians coming into the northern part of the country and destroying everything, removing the tribes and scattering the people and making their way. The flood was coming down to Judah, and Isaiah's writing this in time. He's likely in Jerusalem. Hezekiah is the king. The people have been wicked. They've been rebellious. The northern kingdom is judged by Assyria and the Assyrian army comes all the way down to Jerusalem and they encircle Jerusalem. The end is near. Their backs are against the wall. And Isaiah here, he's crying out for what? For God to be with them and for God to send Emmanuel. That's the essence of this. They're placing their faith in Emmanuel for this specific crisis, right? The same Emmanuel, by the way, that will be Jesus. So how does the story end? Well, see, the children of Israel, they're in Jerusalem, Hezekiah, Isaiah. It's daunting, The armies of the Assyrians have them encircled. Their supply lines are cut off. They're in dire straits. And Isaiah is ministering to Hezekiah and he's telling Hezekiah why this is taking place and what the implications of this are. And Hezekiah comes before the Lord in sackcloth and ash and he repents. And the whole nation does. Everyone in the city does. They cry out for the Lord's de- deliverance, not because they've earned it or they deserve it. They appeal to God's mercy and his grace. And it came to pass, and I'll, I'll read from 2 Kings chapter 19. But in response to the repentance, in, the, in response to the crying out of Isaiah and, and Hezekiah, came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses, all dead. I would assume that's what a corpse is, dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, remained at Nineveh, And then then there's some repercussions that happen after that. But here's my point. They're in Jerusalem. They're surrounded by 185,000 Assyrians. Brutal people. Barbaric in the way that they would treat the people that they conquered. Hezekiah cries out to God. Isaiah cries out to God. In the midst of all this, there's this beautiful prophecy. Dealing with who? Emmanuel that would become Jesus. And in the middle of talking about Emmanuel, Isaiah cries out, we need Emmanuel now. Now. God, there's no other remedy. And in response that night, the angel of the Lord. Who? Well, we would say Emmanuel. By Isaiah's prophecies. Emmanuel comes and in a night with the edge of a sword slays 185,000 Assyrians and the people wake up in the morning and they look out. And can you imagine the bloody scene of 185,000 Assyrians slaughtered across the fields? So if you're Joseph This woman has a special kid. What she said's true. She's not making it up. This is the son of God. You'll call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, but you need to know who he is. He's Emmanuel, God with us. So if you're Joseph, what story do you think about immediately? Wait a second. This kid, this is the same that slew the Assyrian army all by himself. You know, we have in our mind this, this real westernized, twisted, feminized. I gotta be careful what words I use. We have a really terrible perspective of Jesus. Where we see Jesus, yes, Jesus was meek. That's strength under submission. That doesn't mean it's weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Jesus was the son of a carpenter and became known as the carpenter of Nazareth. Jesus worked with his hands. Jesus was a strong man to the point that he could walk along the shore of other blue-collar men and say, stop what you're doing and follow me. And they're like, yeah. You're the, man, you're the kind of man, I'll, I'll, I'll let it all go and follow. We think of Jesus as like some gushy Fabio that never got dirty and had perfectly manicured hair. And I couldn't believe it's not butter, you know? And he just kind of like floated along and just never, never got his hands dirty. You know what? I, I have nothing to substantiate this, and this could be minor heresy, but have at it. They use nine inch nails to nail him to a tree. You know Why? because those hands were calloused and it took took an edge to get it through the calluses. Jesus wasn't soft. He was Emmanuel. When the time came and his people were in need, Jesus girded himself, pulled out a sword and slew the enemy of his people. He did the same thing on the cross, just in a different way. And your Joseph... And you're debating what you're doing here. And God's like, this is, this is the kid. This is my son. You'll call him Jesus, but you always remember who he really is. And Joseph is aroused from sleep. And what does he do? I'm all in. He, his life would forever change. Whatever plan he had for his future, whatever what, whatever it was didn't come to fruition. Soon after this, they go to Bethlehem and it's years till they get back to Nazareth and they don't really want to go back to Nazareth and he's got to live in the stigma he's got the responsibility of God's kid on his shoulders. I got to raise this kid the way that God would want me I'm accountable, and I'm going to love this one. I mean he made the decision this is the decision he made that his life would be forever better with Jesus even though it would be hard than it would be without because he had a decision, didn't he? He could have woken up and said, thanks, but no thanks. This is is gonna affect my life too much. This is gonna change everything and I really like where I'm at but he awoke and said, you know what? This wasn't my plan, but if God would invite me to be part of his, yeah, I'll do that. What a man. What a dreamer. I listened to a Bible study. I'll I'll close with this. Joseph. Joseph was a dreamer. And his dreams for his life yeah, he, the, the Bible says I listen to it was like, Joseph was dreaming of a white Christmas, but he seems to only get rain, right? Instead of the beautiful white Christmas, it just his plans get rained on all the time. We're in Bethlehem. This is great. I've got wise men showing up, giving us money. This is wonderful. Angel shows up. Yeah, I'm sorry. Plans change. You're going to Egypt. What? You know, like you just follow his life. Like every time Joseph has a dream, that white Christmas turns into rain. Sometimes us, we feel that way, don't we? That our white Christmas, it just gets rained on. But there are two types of rain. There's the rain that we would think of falling from the sky. But there's another rain it's called God's sovereignty. Yeah, sometimes our white Christmases get rained on, but it's God's rain. Funny, every instance in Joseph's life where his gets rained on, what 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 is the, the, the immediate verse that follows? This was done so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets every single time. Meaning what? Yeah, it got rained on, because but this was God's plan and not yours. And it's better. You think Joseph... Doubted once the decision that he made? No. No. Maybe when he lost Jesus, but other than that, no. And he raised Emmanuel, who would do the work to save his people from their sins. So, Father, Lord, we just take this inspiration and this.